Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was talking to uh, one of my preacher friends this week, and he said that everybody's looking for ministers of music. I want you to know that I'm looking, okay? You understand? I mean, this is not good for me, right? And uh, so if you want to take my place, you're welcome to come do that. But anyway, but we were talking, and, and of course, pl- there's a bunch of people in our situation, but I have a friend of mine. He not only doesn't have a minister of music, he doesn't have piano player. But he, well, he has one piano player, and she's in her late 80s. And sometimes she can't come. So on the Sunday she can't come, they have to pipe the music in, right? That's just, just play what you do. You do what you have to do. But we're blessed to have two piano players. Amen? And thank you, Kathy and Cindy. I'll give them a hand. I appreciate it. I really do. And I like it better. I like it better when they make me look good. That's even better. When they make you think, you know, he might know what he's doing. And I have no idea what I'm doing, okay? Yeah, your Bible's... Your, yeah. Well, your Bibles are open to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. I want to go back and read a portion of Acts chapter 1, and we'll be looking at several verses in the first several chapters of the book of Acts. While you're finding Acts chapter 1, let me remind you about a couple of pieces of paper that I want you to at least have a copy of somewhere, in either in your Bible or at home. Uh, one would be this, this little theme sheet that we have. I have failed to go over this like I should, but I will do a better job starting next Sunday. But our theme for the next couple of years is living in the light of eternity. And the, the implications are, obviously, the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in our hearts. That means everybody that's ever been conceived. Did you hear what I just said? Everybody that's ever been conceived has an eternal soul. Because God gives them life, and that life is eternal. So, those of us that know Christ, we, we want to walk in the light of Christ. So our theme is living in the light of eternity. Christ being that eternal light that we, we want to follow. And they all look like this. You'll find several at the welcome desk. Also, and I left it on my desk, there's a little tent that has one thing, has the change for change collecting change for the mission in Ecuador. And then the other side has our theme, living in light of eternity. Those are two items I'd love for you to keep in your Bible or at least have one at home so you can continue to pray and be committed to our theme. The passage that, that uh, Robbie read out of Matthew 16, you don't have to turn there, is where Jesus makes this statement. Matter of fact, in the Bible... In the Bible, the word church, okay? This is very important. And we're going to deal with a little theology today. Um, the word church, it's a Greek word, translated Greek. The Greek word is ek, ek, two words put together. The word ek, that means out, and klesia, call. So technically, the word ekklesia is the Greek word that's translated in the Bible most of the time church. 
Sometimes it's a translated assembly. So about 110 times, and y'all, some of you have heard this, about 110 times the word ecclesia in the original language appears in the New Testament. Most of those times it's translated church. Okay? About 100 times it's translated church. Of those 100 times, the majority is talking about a church like this. It's the context of a local church like the church at Philippi or the church at Colossae. Okay? It's talking about a local church. When Jesus said in Matthew 16, Peter makes the confession, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Catholics are wrong. The, the church is not built on Peter. The church is built on Christ. When Jesus says, and on this rock, it's a play of words, Peter, the word Peter, his, word, his name means little stone. <clears throat> and when Jesus said this, there's little stones everywhere. Some of you will see that when we go to the Holy Land. <clears throat> there's little stones everywhere at this place where Jesus said. So He says, Peter, you're the little stone, but on this rock, He's the rock. I will build My church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That was a promise that we call it an indicative. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. It's going to happen. Christ is going to build His church. And it happens to be that when you get to the book of Acts, this is where the church is born. Our beginning, a local church just like this, hundreds and millions of local churches through the last 2,000 years had their beginning right here in the book of Acts. God birthed the church. It was a divine plan at a divine time. It was going to be at the Feast of Harvest or what we know as the Feast of Pentecost. The feast after the Passover of which Jesus died, God planned that the church would be born at that feast, the Feast of Pentecost. So the book of Acts is a record. It covers about 30 to 40 years. If you, uh, the, the period of time in the book of Acts, 34 years, maybe close, maybe 40. 30 to 40 years, it talks about what happens in the church and the work of the church. We call it the Acts of the Apostles. Some scholars call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it is the Spirit of God working in believers. You could also call it the Acts of the Lord Jesus Christ, couldn't you? Couldn't you? Yeah, because we're the body, right? So if we're His body, Jesus is still acting, am I correct? Through us. So it could be and that has everything to do. So your Bible's open to Acts chapter. That was a good in, intro. I didn't mean for it to be a good intro, but let's make it a good intro. Acts chapter one. And not these verses are going to be familiar, but I'm going to be in other places. But I just want to read them. Acts chapter one, and I'm going to begin reading at verse one, and just read a few verses in chapter one. And I'll make several references throughout chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. But we're we're going to get there. But there are when we get through. There's four or five essentials that you're going to see that if a church is a thriving church, we're going to find some characteristics of a thriving church. Okay, We're going to find in Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4. But this is out of Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, the first book would have been his gospel. This is Luke. Luke penned the book of Acts. Luke not only was a doctor, but he was a, 
an extremely good historian. Um, History tells us. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That ought to tell us something about the, the book of Acts, what the book of Acts is going to tell us. It's going to tell us about the other acts of Jesus through believers like me and you. All The first one, he says, the gospel I wrote, O Theophilus, was about what Jesus began to do and teach. So if Jesus began to do and teach, the implications are we're going to continue to do and teach, but it's not going to be Jesus alone. It's going to be Jesus through believers. Until the day He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. Jesus decided, this is why He prayed before He called the apostles. When Jesus chose the apostles, there are several things He was doing. He was choosing the foundation of the New Testament church. I don't say that. The book of Ephesians tells us that. That the apostles were the foundation of the church. By the way, who's the cornerstone? Christ, okay? So the apostles are the foundation. So if a true church is going to be a true church, it's going to be built on, according to Ephesians, the foundation of the apostles, okay? So we have to find out what they said, what they did, and need to follow it if we're going to build a church on what they laid, okay? So so it's the apostles. Jesus chose those twelve. So when Jesus, and I know one of them was a devil, it's going to tell us that, but of the eleven, Jesus decided who was going to be writing. Not only was He calling them to follow Him, He was deciding who was going to write the New Testament. Because they wrote the New Testament or one of their best friends wrote the New Testament. So when He was calling the apostles, He was laying the foundation not only of of the church, but He was laying the foundation for the writing of His Word. But we move on. Until the day when He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. There's no more apostles. Has Jesus chosen apostles today? No, He has not. If somebody calls themselves an apostle, it's not a New Testament apostle. They're giving themselves a title, but it's not a New Testament apostle. They don't have this kind of authority. They don't have this kind of inspiration. They're not an apostle. They're not a new first century apostle. He presented himself, so he, so he gave himself to the apostle whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Quickly from, from, from Passover to Pentecost, Penta was 50, 50 days. Jesus tells the disciples to go tarry in Jerusalem. So they go and wait. So he's ascend, He ascends. He says, go tarry. They go wait. And then 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes and bursts the church. So it's a 50-day period. 50 days from Passover to Pentecost. Jesus showed Himself alive for 40 days, so it was that 40 days He ascended. He said, go wait those last 10 days for the coming of the Spirit. And it was on the day of Pentecost, 10 days later, the Spirit came. That's what this is about. It says, And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me. What's the promise of the Father? What person... You have the Father, Son, and Spirit of the Trinity. What's the promise that's going to come? It's the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. By the way, Kathy, did you know Jesus said in uh, John 
14, He says, I will not leave you as orphans. Do you know that? So, and, and what Jesus was talking about was the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, He's saying, physically, I'm going to go away, but I'm not really going to leave you by yourself. I'm coming back. And I'm going to indwell you, but it's going to be the third person of the Trinity. But it's a Spirit. It's my Spirit. It's the third person of the Trinity. So it's going to be me, but it's going to be me in a Spirit that can dwell in all believers at the same time in all places. So it is better that Jesus ascended. So it says, while He was staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which which He said, you've heard from Me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The word baptized is immersed. You know, we're going to be immersed in in what the Holy Spirit is. And that's one of the reasons why we baptize. It says, for... For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, which is going to be ten days after the ascension. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Hear that? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up. A cloud took Him out of their sight. Are you looking at your Bibles? Okay. Now, we won't spend time on this this morning, but it's prophetically, and when it comes to the study of end times, this is very important. So while they were gazing into heaven, as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. There's a great debate whether these are angels or whether they're Moses and Elijah come back. We don't know. Sometimes angels were men, but two men stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus. That's very important. This Jesus. Let me remind you about this Jesus. Was Jesus walking in human form when He was resurrected from the dead? Yes. Did Jesus have the nail prints in His hands when He was on? Yes. Jesus ascended in, his, in a glorified body, but a bodily form. So, so the angels or the men say, This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. So then it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. Isn't that interesting? 
Do you remember what his brothers had said about him earlier? Just about a year earlier before the crucifixion? You know what they were saying? They said he's crazy. They called him a lunatic. They thought Jesus, their half-brother, was a lunatic. But after the death, burial, and resurrection, and after the ascension, his brothers believed. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, which was the company of persons that were together. Uh, and how many were there? There was 120. And I won't go anywhere from there, but this is where they replace Judas because there needs to be a twelfth apostle. Drop down to verse 25. We looked at this. And this is why they're replacing. Because, listen, God does His ministry. Think, think about why they're doing this. Now, from an eschatology and thinking about the new heaven and the new earth, or the new Jerusalem, there are twelve foundations based on the apostles. I don't know if that's why they replace them or not. But I do know the Bible tells me one reason why they replaced Judas. Because it says in verse 25, and I think we mentioned this last Sunday, to take the place in this ministry and apostleship. I want you to know something about why did God in His economy tell Peter, lead Peter, in the midst of all that's going on to replace Judas. Why did He do that? I don't know all the reasons. But I can tell you one reason I know for sure. Is because God does His work through saved men and women. Did you hear me? Because God does His work through saved men and women who have the Holy Spirit and have been born again and transformed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go back briefly, if you go back and you look at at Acts chapter 1, you find out that in Acts 1, not only does He talk about the men that God does His work through individuals like me and you that are saved and born again. But number two, the Bible tells He gives us the right motivation. What is our... What is our you, you don't have to go back and read Acts 1. What is our motivation for doing ministry? The motivation is, guess who's coming back? This same Jesus who is taken up from you is going to come just like this again. So Jesus is coming. Either you're going to die and meet Him face to face or He's coming back. That's the motivation. So all of us are called to be ministers. We've been called by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ for this for the work of the church. This is where Paul goes on in his epistles and talks about us being one body, many members but one body, Romans 12.5. Then he goes to 1 Corinthians 12 and deals with us same thing. We're many members but yet one body in Christ. And individually we're members one of another, it says. Because we are, the Bible says, you and me, locally, we are the body of Christ. Now folks, absorb that for a minute. Your, your salvation, your gifts, your availability, your stewardship in this church is that you are part of the body of Christ. You represent Jesus with me. That's what you do. And then you have to ask yourself, what kind of representative are you of Jesus? And it says, we'll be witnesses. You shall, that's imperative, you shall be witnesses. That's a command. You shall be witnesses. So I have to ask you, what kind of witness are you? What kind of witness are you? I mean, somebody, can we call you 
as a witness to testify to the reality of the new birth? Can you testify to the power of God to transform your life to righteousness? So when, when Acts 1 is written, we find out that, that God does His work through men and women like us. There's a great motivation. Jesus is coming back. We have the right energy or might. I'm using M's. We have the right might. The, the, the power of God comes through the Holy Spirit. And, and look at verse... Uh, look what he says in, in verse uh, 8. He says, but you... This is still in chapter 1. By the way, I'm going to go ahead and tell you I'm going over today. Okay? So let's move on. But you will receive power. Okay? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's amazing what happens at, at Pentecost in just a minute. Look, I'm still in chapter 1. Uh, it says, uh, he, they're replacing, they're rep, look what it says, they're replacing uh, a Judas. Uh, they quote Psalms, I'm in verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, I think Psalm 65, Psalm 100, May his camp become enemies. So one of the men who have accompanied... Look what they're saying about who has to replace him. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day He was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to His resurrection. Folks, do you know what our message is? It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you know that over and over and over, we'll, hopefully well, we won't have time this morning, dozens and dozens of times, do you know what Peter mentions when he's preaching at Pentecost? Then he preaches again in Acts 4. 3 and 4, he preaches another sermon. Do you know what he keeps mentioning over and over and over? It's the message that Jesus Christ has been resurrected from the dead. Is that what we talk about? Folks, there's a lot of things that are important to us as believers. But the fact that Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave are, are essential to what we're sharing. Listen, you, I'm chasing rabbits, I know, but listen to me. We, we as a church can do a lot of good things. We can, we can have mission work. We, we can deliver groceries. and you know we can, we can do things. We can minister to people who have needs and we do those things. But if we fail to share the gospel of Christ, we are hypocrites. We're no better than any social group. All we're doing is being nice to somebody, letting them go to hell. It's, it's the gospel. Whatever we do, we've been talking about doing welcome packets for all the new people moving in. And we should do welcome packets and tell them a little bit about the church. But if we don't put a gospel witness in that bag, they're useless. They're no better than the then the March of Dimes, whatever you want to say. I don't know what to say. But, but we're not, we're, it's about the message of Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. And by the way, He also tells us how we're going to grow. You know, when you get over here into chapter 2, look at your Bibles. Look at chapter 2. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 42. It tells us really the method. Okay, so it, it has the men, it has the motivation, Christ is coming, it has the might, the indwelt by the Holy Spirit, it has the message, but then it has, how are we going to keep doing this? How, how are we going to, 2,000 years later, how are we as believers going to remain faithful? 
to an, as we might say, an apostolic church. How are we going to do that? Well, verse 42 tells us how you do it. Okay? It, it is a simple church. It is a simple church. That's what we ended with last week. It's simple. Look what he says. And they, that's people that got saved, at, you know, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. By the way, 3,000 got saved, verse 41. So now you have 3,120. And they, all 3,120 people, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Now folks, when we talk about the essentials of church life, when we say, it's just like worship, we believe the Bible, we believe the New Testament tells us the things that must be present in worship. You have to read Scripture. You have to proclaim Scripture. You have to pray. These are things that the Bible requires are part of worship. Well, here in the... What is required of a church to be a church? There's just simple things for us to be a church. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, koinonia, communion sometimes, to the breaking of bread, which would be the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So we do the ordinances. We have fellowship one with another. That's the New Testament calls that together. We are together with one another. So we fellowship we do the ordinances of the church. We pray. And then the first thing we do is we, we learn God's Word. That, folks, that makes a church. Everything else are just add-ons. You don't need the other things. Now, it's great to have the other things. It's good, blessings, wonderful. But they're not necessary. This makes a church. So folks, this, these are the things that our church and me as a pastor, this is the four things we need to be committed to. Now, the other things are good. Having a barbecue next Sunday is good. But that's not as important as me preaching the gospel and us discipling people in Bible study. It's not as important. Us raising money for new furniture is not near as important as us sharing the gospel with lost people. But it's good. So let's not put the good before the great. Now, all that is to say, as my introduction, and now that I've got five minutes to go, Let me just share with you a couple things about the rest of the book of Acts. Uh, Just follow along with me. Look, I'm in chapter 2, 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And look what it says. Look what happened. And reverence and phobia and awe came upon every soul There have been times in my life, and I'm sure times in your life, or in a worship experience, in a a corporate worship assembly, I've been moved with phobia, with the awe of God's holiness and God's presence. This was an ongoing thing in the first century. It says, an awe came upon every soul. How, How many souls is that? We know 3,120. Do you have an awe of the holiness of God? Of the work of Christ? Do you, do you sit or stand in awe of Him because of who He is? And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done 
through the apostles. Remember that. And all who believed were together and had all things common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many as had need. We'll come back to that. And day by day, look what it says, and day by day, and day by day, not one hour a week, not one time on Sunday morning, day by day. You know, when let me just say this, um, the Bible tells us that Paul stayed in Ephesus. When you get on in the book of Acts, we learn that Paul was stayed in Ephesus three years. Do you know for those three years, the Bible says that Paul preached every day. Do you know how, how it says that he taught five hours daily? The people couldn't get, they needed to know God's Word. Paul taught them. And that's one reason why when you read the rest of Acts, so there it says the Word of God spread all over Asia. It's because people were hearing, getting saved, and sharing the gospel with other people. So it says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being, being saved. Go to chapter 4. I've got one minute. Go to chapter 4. Now this is... So I read at the end... Chapter 2 is Pentecost. I read at the end of Pentecost. All those things we just read happened at the end of Pentecost. Pentecost ended with 3,000 people being saved. What I just read was talking about them being incorporated into the local body. In chapter 3, a miracle is performed by Peter and John. They're hassled because they healed this man on the Sabbath. They've been arrested. And chapter 4 is kind of dealing with, with how they're dealing with that arrest and, and all those things. But just for a second, I want you to look at chapter 4 and uh, verse 1. Let me just read a couple of verses, then I'm going to give you a couple of things to think about. It says, and at, so, they, so as they were speaking to the people and priests, and the cap, I'm sorry, and as they were speaking to the people, stop, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Okay, so Peter and John preaching. Okay, Greatly annoyed, because this guy had been healed, great miracle, so they're following this miracle by preaching the gospel. So they did it, and then they proclaimed it. See, all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's exactly. So they heal a man, and then they preach the gospel. So these people, the Sadducees, the priests, were annoyed because they were teaching the people, and they were proclaiming a social Jesus? No. Good works? No. What were they preaching? Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. That's the message of the New Testament church. It's Jesus Christ crucified, Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, Jesus Christ ascended to the Father, Jesus Christ is coming. And so they arrested them, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. 
And many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. Now folks, these are the same people that had Jesus crucified. Okay, The same exact groups of people that had Christ crucified. Rulers and elders... See, the, the Sadducees were, were a segment of the Sanhedrin, a, a small segment of the Sanhedrin. So they got all the Sanhedrin together, which was all the rulers, all the elders, all the chief priests, all the priest's family, and that was the Sanhedrin. Seventy plus one, the serving high priest. So the rulers and elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. Look, look what happened. By what power or by what name did you do this? The man had been healed. He had been lame. and they, You can go back and read it, chapter 3, and they healed him. It's where Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I given unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And he walked. And then chaos followed. Okay. Look what it says. So they set them in the midst and they inquired, Folks, you want to be a witness? Folks, this opportunity arises all the time. Not the exact same context, but your opportunity to share the truth happens all the time. By what power or by what name did you do this? So hey, how did you do this? How, how did you heal that man? Now, look what Peter does. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Now there's a lot of things Peter could have done. Okay, He could have just said, by the power of Jesus and left it alone. Right? Look what he says. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. We'll stop here. Verse 12. And there is salvation. This is the title of my sermon that tells you how far behind I am. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now there's two or three things that Peter did and I'm going to summarize chapter 3 and 4. When you study what Peter did, this is two or three things Peter did. Number one, Peter pre- when you listen to Peter or John, but most time it's Peter. Okay, He's the spokesman of the apostles, which is interesting, but he got restored. I use the phrase, I use the words, Peter preached, listen to me, infinite Christology. What I mean, what I mean by that is every opportunity that Peter was asked about something, do you know where he went immediately? What, who did he talk about? You answer, who did, Jesus. So I say, infinite Christology. What, 
you know, this is where Paul said much of the same thing. He said, I determined to know nothing among you. See, Paul could talk philosophy. He was a well-educated man. He, he could talk history. He knew it all. But he said to the Corinthians, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Folks, what's the most important thing you know? Christ and Him crucified. That's the most important thing you know, and He's the most important person you've ever met. So who should you be talking about in the public square? You should be talking about Jesus. So Peter gave us an example. By the way, you know how he did this? He was indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So infinite Christology, right? But he was indwelt by the power of the Spirit. He didn't do this on his own. You know what they were doing before the Spirit came? I've already read it. What were they doing before the Holy Spirit came? They were hiding up in an upper room, scared to death, afraid that these same people would find them and kill them. But when the Spirit came, they were in what's being baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were infused with the power of Christ. So, infinite Christology, indwelt by the Spirit, and the third one. Now, it's odd what I say, but you'll understand what I'm talking about. They identified the criminal. Now, now this is what I mean. Identified the Peter and John and all the other apostles, they called sin, sin. Three times in the narrative that I read, three times they told the worker, they told the leaders that had Jesus crucified, you're a murderer. That's what Peter told them. You crucified Him. You put Him to death illegally. So I say they identified, they called sin, sin. Infinite Christology. Infused by the Holy Spirit. And identifying sin as sin. Folks, that's, that was characteristics of a church, a true church. So is that the characteristics of you? Well, let me ask a more important question to me. Is that the characteristics of me and this church? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and our hearts are open unto the Lord. And Every head bowed and every eye closed. And folks, I know we're a little over head bowed and eye closed. It's okay. We can spare the time for the Lord Jesus and His Word. Folks, this morning our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. and I'm not going to make it long, but let me just tell you, I do want to have an invitation this morning, and this is what the invitation needs to be. Obviously, if you're here and you've never been saved, you've never been born again, you've never repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, this invitation is for you. I'm personally, along with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and all that are here, I'm encouraging you, I'm inviting you, that when we stand and sing in just a minute, a hymn of invitation, that I'm inviting you to come and tell me that you need to be saved. So the first part of this invitation is for you. But because we've talked so much about the church and church membership and commitment to the local church, this, church, this, this invitation has to be about our identity as believers. Folks, I... Are you the kind of believer that the Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 describes? Are you infinite in your Christology? Are you infused by the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to call sin, sin? Are you sharing the gospel where you go? It's the most important thing you know is the gospel of Christ and the person you know is Christ. Is that who you are? Well, if we're the body of Christ, it has to be. So maybe today is a day of decision for you. 
Maybe you need to join a church. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Whatever it would be, that's what we're going to invite you to do. You can do it where you are. You might need to come to the altar. You might need to come see me. But whatever God leads you to do, that's what I want you to do. Father, we move among us now. Speak to our hearts. Make us a strong church in Jesus' name. We're going to stand and sing softly and tenderly. You know it well. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. We stand and we sing. If you need to come, you come. Sing it with me. say praise the Lord. Man, we love the book of Acts. Now, I'm starting another series uh, next Sunday, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. But we, uh, anyway, living in light of eternity, living in the light of eternity, right? That's who we are. We're living for Christ. Thank you for being here. Wednesday night, 520, covered dish, Bible study at 6, ladies' Bible study this afternoon at 5. Anyway, I'm glad you're here. Let's pray. God, help us to be the church, the called out assembly that fervently and willingly represents the Lord Jesus Christ. In His matchless name we pray. Amen. Have a good afternoon.